Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Anybody here know anything about the love of God? Do you know and understand that if it had not been for His love, none of us, none of us would be here tonight. Oh, love of God. Oh. Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. I have been burdened for this day. I pray that God will have used His Word to penetrate our hearts for just a few moments tonight, and I promise you I will... Be mindful of that. I hope that you would linger after and help our music department eat a little food in the Fellowship Hall Family Center. Deuteronomy chapter 8. One verse, verse number 2. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse number 2. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness. And I want to get to the rest of it, and I know that what he says is important, but I want to go back and reread that first portion, and I want to emphasize <clears throat> that part of this passage. And thou shalt remember all the way. Everybody say all the way. All the way. Which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years, these many years. I don't know how many years you've been serving the Lord, but how many of you know how many years you've been serving the Lord? All right, I want us to read that, and I want you to put your number in there. All right? Let's do that. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 50 years, 58 years, actually, almost. Amen. God has led me all of these through the wilderness. He has done it. And he did it for a purpose, to humble and to prove and to know what was in my heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. And everybody said, Amen. One word tonight, and that word is remember. You may be seated. Paul writing to Timothy in the first book of his instruction to this young man in the Lord said in the third chapter something that seems odd, almost out of place. Amid all of the other instructions that Paul left for Timothy, 
he made this statement. But if I should be delayed, I have written so that you will know how people ought to act in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. When I read that, and I have read it many times in my devotional time, I've often wondered what all Paul was trying to get at. I believe that he had more than just a purpose of correcting something that was amiss in the congregation. I believe that Paul was speaking not of infractions that were being made and disrespect or whatever, but more than that, I believe he was addressing a spirit and an attitude that can so easily develop in people that come and go from the same place over and over and over again. And it is so, even with us today, that sometimes we forget how to act in the house of God. Now, I don't say that disrespectfully. I'm not meaning that you don't know how to uh, conduct yourself. And I'm not inferring to certain infractions that may sometimes happen within the confines of a service, what I am saying is that many times we forget the spirit and the attitude in which we ought to always come into the house of the Lord, and that is with a spirit of remembering, a spirit of remembering. I want to bring you tonight into remembrance of some things. And I have no axe to grind, and I have no, uh, no agenda other than to unburden my heart. There are truths that we need to be rehearsed with often, and there are truths that we need rehearsed in our ears over and over again. Because we are living in a culture that is doing everything it can to undermine everything that we represent. And it's not happening outside the church only. It's happening inside the church. The Bible speaks about this day, that men are ever learning but never coming to the truth. That we can be wise and we can be intelligent in certain ways, but... In turn, we become more ignorant toward God and His divine purpose. And I, I feel an urgency in my spirit to go back, not just for you, but for myself, to go back and reacquaint myself with the foundational principles upon which my life has been built and your life has been built so that nothing in this hour can undermine what God has tried to do in my life. And we live in a culture where every day it's happening and it's eroding more and more. Every day there's a little bit more that is being undone. And, and now we're almost, I've told you about the Jefferson Bible. Thomas Jefferson, he didn't believe in the miraculous 
And so he didn't believe that any of the miracles that were recorded in Scripture. And they said that he went in with scissors and he clipped out every miracle that was mentioned in the New Testament. And then he went into the epistles and every portion that he didn't agree with, he snipped it out. And he had what is now called, and it's in one of the, I think it's in the Smithsonian Institute, it's called the Jefferson Bible. It was his version of God's Word. I want to tell you something. As bad as that was, we are living in a day when it's being done on wholesale. And the, the Word of God is being taken and stripped of its fiber and its being. And you know what? As much as we come to church and say, that doesn't bother me, it will have an effect upon your life and my life in one way or the other. If you don't buy into it, you are going to become a persecuted person. And I'm telling you that the day is soon to come when they will be monitoring everything that is preached from every pulpit in America. And we are having an agenda set right now that's trying to limit what the pulpit can say. Well, folks, I may be hauled off in chains one of these days, but if God's Word says, Thou shalt not, that's what I'm going to preach to you. And if God's Word said that sin, and He names what sin is, and I name what sin is, so be the consequences. But we are living in a culture that more and more is marginalizing people that really believe the Word of God, and they're calling us radical. Call me whatever you want to call me. I want to stand on God's Word, and I want to remember. I want to remember that it cost a great price. And I don't ever want to forget all that God had to do to bring this about, and all that He was willing to sacrifice and give in order for this to be. I read again the portion of Scripture in Ephesians 5, and so many times we don't go there because it refers to how a husband and wife are supposed to relate, and we just don't like to read that kind of stuff because it brings conviction or it makes us sit up and, and, and realize we need to be better. But there's a portion in there that speaks to all of us of what this is all about. And in verse number 25, Paul said, Husbands, and I'm reading from the New Living Trans, or, or the Message Version, and I'm going to read from the New Living Translation, and, I, and I'll read it if you want me to from the King James Version. But I just want to give you an expanded uh, a version of what Paul was saying. He said, Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives. Why? Exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving and not getting. Go all out for your wife just like Christ did for the church. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Did you hear that? His words are what produce a beautiful life. There's nothing in this word that has been put there to hurt me. There's nothing in that word that's put there to make me less of a human. That word is given to make me a better person. And when I accept that word and I receive that word, it will do just that. Everything he does and he says 
is designed to bring the best out of her. Speaking of the church, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. And that is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor since they're already one in marriage. No one abuses his own body, does he? No. The answer is, he feeds and pampers it. That's how Christ treats us, the church. The New Living Translation reads like this, For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church, and he gave up his life for her. He gave up his life to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's Word. He did this to present her to Himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to, you ought to love your wives as they love or you love your wife as you love your own body. For a man who loves his wife actually loves, uh, shows love for himself. Verse 29, no one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. When I read that portion of Scripture, and I've often read the book of Ephesians, but that particular portion, it was as if God stopped me and said, I want you to look again, and I want you to absorb, I I want you to hear one more time what I did for you, what I have done for you in the form of a church and in the form of a body of believers. I want you to understand what it cost me, what I had to do to accomplish that. All of the things that you enjoy right now. And when I look at my life, listen to me, folks. Every blessing in my life is a direct result of the church. I don't have anything in my life that came from me. My wife came from the church. My children came through the church. The blessings in my life right now have all been a product of the church. The church has loved me when I didn't deserve being loved. The church has accepted me when I didn't deserve being accepted. The church made a place for me when I didn't deserve a place. And God did all of that so He could make me a better person. What a privilege to be a part of the church of the living God. And I don't want to do anything to undermine what God's purpose has been for my life. Amen. According to our text, God has invested a great amount of love and power and strength and resources into the church. And when I think of all that God has done to help us become better, I am amazed. Because none of us deserve that. None of us deserve it. And I owe so much to this church. It has given me far more than I have given it. How many of you would agree with me? The church has given you far more. You know, there's sometimes I hear people say, and, and I know they don't mean it that way, and I've probably said it myself. I talk about what all I've done for the church. 
And I know there's been people that's left the church because they were all bent out of shape because they'd done so much for the church and all of this. And, and I got to thinking about that this afternoon, and I thought, really? Have I done that much for the church? When I look at my life, everything in my life says it's been done for me. Now, I've been trying to give back, and I have a debt that's great that I owe, but I'll be honest with you tonight, I'm not doing a very good job repaying the investment that God has made in me, and I'm not doing a very good job in paying back what I owe Him. I'm here to tell you it's a wonderful thing to be a part of the church of the living God. It has loved me. It has opened its arms for me. It has accepted me. It has believed in me. It has made a way for me. It has provided for me. It has sheltered me in the midst of my worst storm. And it has secured me when life was shaking. I've been able to come to the church and find the strength that I need to go on. Folks, we need to remember God's deliverance tonight. We need to remember God had His hand on us for a long time. God had to remind Israel about their journey. Deuteronomy chapter 8, He had to remind them of what all He had done. He said, I have brought you out. I brought you out. You didn't do that. You would never have gotten out of that mess. You would have never gotten out of Egypt. I did that. Amen. I know you're good people tonight. I'm not saying this to hurt your feelings, but you didn't get yourself out. God got you out. Amen. God is the one that was behind it all. He was the one that was moving the powers that be. He was the one that was paving a way. He was the one that was making a way. And He brought us out. But He didn't just bring us out. He reminded them, I didn't just bring you out, but I led you. I, I led you. I directed your steps. I brought you through great and terrible places. I, I, I brought you through impossible situations. I, I brought you. I led you out that I might lead you in. What a blessed life it is to be led by God. What a blessed life. And he said, I have, I have, I have taken you through so, so many things but not only that, I want to remind you that you have lived off of my resources. You've lived off of my resources. All that you have enjoyed has been my provision. It was my water that came out of that rock. It was my manna that came from heaven. Those were my quail that came and fed you. Those were my provisions. I, I mentioned that this morning, but I went back and I read that portion of Scripture again in Deuteronomy. And I think it's in the latter portion of chapter 8. But he talks about their clothes didn't wear out, and he, I, I've not paid attention to it. He said, and your feet didn't swell. Now you think about being on your feet for 40 years marching through a wilderness. Some of us can't be on our feet two hours and they swell up. But he said, 40 years in the wilderness and your feet didn't swell. God said, I've taken care of you. You have lived off of my resources. 
And then on top of all of that, you came to the door of promise once and you failed. You came to the door of promise once, but you failed to go in and they were turned back. But God did not leave them and He did not give up on them. He just led them back into the wilderness that He might ultimately lead them back in. And somebody said, Amen. How many times has God done that for us? We have been on the brink of greatness, or we have been on the brink of breakthrough, or blessing, and failure occurs in our life. We make a mistake. We do something we shouldn't do. We say something that we shouldn't say. We suffer a setback. And instead of God abandoning us, He just goes with us back down that road we just came from. And He walks right back through that wilderness with us so that He might ultimately turn us around and bring us back to the place that He has promised us. What I have learned about God is that you can fail and still make a comeback. That you can make a mistake and it not be the end of your life. That you can fail and God not give up on you. Church, that right there is worth its weight in gold. To know that no matter how many mistakes I make, no matter how many times I stumble and fail, God will not give up on me. He will walk with me. He will stay with me until He gets me to that place where He wants me to be. He will not let me go. And they went back and then they came in. Oh, folks, listen to me. There's times in my life that all I could, all that I could say about my life is that I was going backward. But God did not let that be the end of my story. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It seemed like every move you made was in the wrong direction. But somehow God put His hand on you. And He started leading you through all of those step backs and those setbacks. And before you know it, you're standing one more time on the brink of the promised land. God will put His hand on you. And He will not be your, let your setbacks be the end of the story but He will lead you back to the place that He promised if you will just let Him. Could I tell someone here tonight who has been through a setback that God wants to bring you back? Amen. Can I tell you that you've been through a time of failure in your life, that that's not the end of the story, that God still has a divine purpose. That's why you and I need to remember. We need to remember that God has done all of that, and He's still doing all that, and He's going to continue to do all of that until the end. And then this is what amazes me the most. He did all of that in spite of of their murmuring and their complaining and their backbiting and their sniping and snipping. And my dad called it belly aching. And all of their unbelief and all of their difficulties and all of their sufferings. And yet in spite of all of that, he had supplied their needs so that they had never gone a day without provision. Folks, this is an awesome place, the church of the living God. And what Israel was in the flesh, the church is in the spirit. 
And if God would do that for Israel, He would do that for this Israel. What an awesome God. Sometimes I get so mad at people. I'm, I, you know you do too. You get so mad at people because you listen to them and everything that comes out of their mouth is just this not right and that's not right and this is not working. And, 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 and they just have a negative bent on life. But you know what? God, He's been listening to that kind of stuff for a long time. And it didn't stop His hand from blessing back then and it's not going to stop His hand from blessing right now. He did deal with the murmurs, I will have to tell you that, but he kept blessing his people. What an awesome God. Folks, listen to me. You and I don't have a right to come into this place that has offered us so much love and so much compassion and so much forgiveness and so much hope and so much peace. We don't have a right to come in here with an attitude. We don't have a right to come in here with a chip on our shoulder. This is not about us anyway. It's about Him. And I'm not saying anybody's got a chip. I'm just saying we don't have a right to do that. Because He's the one that has really been out in all of this. God has been the one that has been giving. I, I don't have a right to come into this church with a sense of entitlement that this church owes me something. I owe the church a great debt. Amen. We don't have the right to come into this place with an agenda or even an axe to grind. What we ought to do is come into this house remembering all the way. Everybody say all the way. All the way. Think about it. Every turn, every twist. It looked like it was the end. It looked like it was not going to work out. It looked like your family was going to break up. It looked like your marriage was doomed. It looked like your children were gone forever. It looked like your job was in ruins. It looked like your financial future was in doubt. It looked like everything that could go wrong in your life had gone wrong. And then God stepped in and He turned it all for your good. And He's turning it even now. Amen. God has been so good to us. I want to tell you, folks, God has a right tonight. You know, we talk about our rights. Whoever talks about God's rights? God has a right because of all that He has done for us to expect from us certain things. He has a right to expect from us a spirit of fruitfulness. Amen. He has a right to expect fruit in our life. He has a right to expect better things from us. And He has a right to expect me not to be an angel, but to be a man. Or for you to be a woman, if you're a woman. To be what God has called you to be. Jesus said in one teaching that there's only two spiritual forces working in the world. They are gathering and scattering. Think about that. There's only two forces at work in the world, gathering or scattering. He said, you are either for me or what? You are against me. That's pretty straight and narrow. You're either helping or you're hindering. When I read that, I thought, God, what am I doing? I'm, I'm serious. What am I doing? What am I 
what, what am I doing? Am I scattering or am I gathering? I pray, God, that I'm on your side because you have certainly been on mine all of these years. Amen. When I think about his love that brought him so far from glory that he would come and dwell among a people like us, who am I that a king would bleed and die for? Remember, Moses said, remember. And if you read that book of Deuteronomy, you will find that word used over and over and over again because God knew that we had a tendency to forget. When you come in these doors, remember what this church has done for you. Amen. Remember what the church and even this church has done. Think about where you would be today if it had not been for this church. Amen. The next time you want to criticize the Sunday school or the criticize the youth program or you want to criticize the music or you want to criticize the preacher, think about where you were when you came and what this church meant to you then. Has time eroded that memory? Have we forgotten what it was that brought us to Him to begin with? God, help me remember. Help me remember that every good thing in my life has come from You. Amen. Every good thing. Every blessing. Everywhere I turn, I see the hand of God. God, help me to remember. Let's stand together. Amen. We do need to be reminded need to be reminded of just what He has been to us, what He has been for our lives. He has been a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He has warmed us when we were cold and He has fed us when we were hungry. Amen. Thank God for the church. Thank God for the church. Thank God for this church. Amen. We're not perfect. We're not by any means perfect. And we're, we do a lot of things wrong, I'm sure. I'm, I'm certain that we could do things better. There is no question. But be that as it may, it's been a wonderful shelter from the storm. Amen. It's been a wonderful place to feel like you belong. Wonderful place for me to find a place of ministry. Amen. It's been a wonderful place for me to be accepted with all my warts and all my bumps, all my failures, all my idiosyncrasies. Amen. The church has loved me and it's loved you. Amen. What a place. What a place. Lift your hands with me and let's thank Him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, I love you, Jesus. Thank you for the church.